You're listening to The Product Edge, and I'm Jade Bennett, Australia's leading product management recruitment expert, founder of Middleton Executive, and a professional development and mindset coach. In this podcast, I take you on a journey into the minds of exceptional product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and hustlers. In each episode, I introduce you to experts in their field, and my mission is to help every product professional level up and reach their full potential by providing you with the skills, insights, and tools that you need to excel in your career and gain your product edge. Joining me today is Liz Blink, co-founder of Product Anonymous, a community group for product people that's been running out of Melbourne for 11 years. Liz has been a product manager for over 15 years and says she fell in love with it because it offers the opportunity to constantly be challenged. Liz has worked across marketplaces, government transformations, platforms, and product consulting and coaching. And last but not least, she's been around long enough to remember when Agile became a thing. Today, Liz and I will be discussing the importance of investing in product folk and the role that capability frameworks can play. Welcome to the Product Edge, Liz. I'm really excited we can sit down and and dive into a topic a bit deeper today. So thanks for having me. Me too, Liz. So look, apart from the um, brief overview I gave as your intro, sort of give us a big background on your career and how did you find yourself in this product management craft? It's this funny one that I sometimes go, how did I stumble onto this? And I think I, I got very lucky by the sheer fortune that I did. So I I started out uh, my studies in science, and I I actually did a I did a PhD. So I studied immunology. Um, I won't I won't totally bore you with the details of that. But I, during that time, I realised it wasn't the thing that I was really passionate about. I wasn't waking up every day kind of excited by that work. And so I was like, what do I what do I I want to work? I want to do something I'm passionate about. So of course, when you have your first midlife crisis you go to Amsterdam and you go figure it out which is what I did and I very fortunately got to work um as a like as a temp I guess um to earn some money while I was I was doing those fun um sabbatical things overseas for a product company they were building a brand new product for scientists and so there was a really nice moment where I could help out as a bit of customer research help them out with some things that they need to get done pre-launch and I got to watch this fabulous process of design, engineering, and product people working through getting their product live and launching it. And I then took on some customer service for that product as it went live and helped with that. Worked at that company for a little while doing some of the sales and growth piece and education on how to use the product. And I eventually went, I want to be the product manager because I felt like I, some of the problems that had filtered down to the customer service side could be solved if you were up there, up there. <laughs> Make that sound like there's a terrible hierarchy in there, which I don't mean to imply, imply but I mean in terms of the chain of the flow of work to, to get done. I, I wanted to be in the product space. And that was when I definitely found a career I could be passionate about, think about it all the time, worry about it, I guess, all the time, um, and just uh, I love that, love that work. And so that's one of the reasons that leads to the product autonomous community because that you need that kind of continual learning and connecting with other folk to help you understand whether you're on the right journey because you you fall into you fall into product. And yeah, so then from there I've I've worked on that product for a while. I came back to Australia. I've done the yellow pages. I've worked at Envato marketplaces, did some consulting with Cogent. Um so 
done a bunch of different types of um, product things, <laughs> things along the way. Fantastic. And I think at the next product or non over a glass of wine, I'm going to delve a little bit deeper into your Amsterdam escapades for that <laughs> conversation. <laughs> but look, um, your passion clearly shines through. And I know that, you know, developing people for product management is is challenging, especially when product management as a discipline can be so different from business to business. You know, we as an industry need to create clarity on role expectations and also provide clearer career pathways and learning opportunities for product folk. And this is something that you're deeply passionate about. What what sparked that passion for you and, and what does it mean to you, Liz? I did some thinking about this and then I, I find myself pausing again nonetheless. So I think there's a kind of a combination that comes together is when you fall into a vocation like this, which at the time didn't have formal ways you could you could you could educate yourself you didn't have and a lot's changed in the 15 plus years I've been doing this so that's probably potentially something we can touch on but you have to figure out a way to learn it as you go and it's it's only so it's only or at least for me it was only okay to learn on the job and then you realize you've got gaps or there's the next thing you need to know to, to do better at, at um at your craft um, and or you run into a problem that you're like, there's no, there doesn't seem to be any solution to this. But that that that's not good enough. <laughs> I don't accept that as an answer. And so I'm like, there must be someone must have done this before. And and that's probably the scientific background uh, that helps is that there's probably someone out there. So so go find that. See if it's been done before, or you're actually really in evergreen or new space. So I think there's I think there's something about your own self your self motivation to self educate. And then once you're getting past, I guess, a little bit of competency and you're starting to feel like you you grok it, you actually want to start teaching other people because you don't want them to stumble and make the same mistake you did necessarily. There's definitely parts of learning. You can't prevent all the mistakes because it, it needs to be a bit of a lived experience, I guess. But where you can, where you can um, uh, help others skip over <laughs> some of the bumpy parts, it lends it leads you to the education piece and it leads, lends you to the teaching piece. And uh, I think as we go into that, the capability frameworks and starting to articulate what are the things I need to know is how you start to bring structure to it rather than just random thoughts of this might be interesting. Um, yeah, so it, it brings it starts to bring structure where the ad hoc approach starts to, to not, be as, not be as useful anymore. Do you think that existing business structures are set up to support product teams as well as say engineering it certainly seems from sort of my side of the fence that it's been quite a recent concept um or you know phenomenon that people are talking about these capability frameworks for for product and career pathways it's certainly been something that's been discussed a lot more this year than than previous years do you think there's that disconnect between how engineering teams are set up versus product teams I think one of the things I'm observing about the differences between, say, engineering a product is definitely the size of their organization. They've got a much bigger group um, uh, of folk at their organization. Um, and with that comes, I think, a need, a, a maturity need to be able to retain your talent, coach your talent, uh, have a clear career pathway. I think product, for a couple of reasons, 
still seems to um, struggle to have people know what it is um, and what's involved in it. But we're still just a smaller cohort of people at an organization. And so you're left with an individual product leader, chief product officer, and actually even the um, evolution of having a chief product officer or a head of product is reasonably new so that you've got an overarching structure to say, okay, so now that means I need structures to for career growth for my people. I need structures that help with, um, you know, hiring and, and, and people's interest in, in joining your company. Not just the product isn't enough anymore. You need to have a career path. So along with that comes that need. But then the chief product officer is this single person with probably still very small management layers, let's say, or leadership layers. I like the leadership part, but I, it, it does come hand in hand with management, I guess. That engineering parts of the org, and actually I think design as well, have had bigger a bigger footprint, a bigger a bigger um, structure for that management side of things, or that or that um, focus on the people first rather than the doing, and thus it's left to that individual. And I think the business the bus- businesses are still struggling to understand. You have to separate that. And and from what I can tell from chief product officer job descriptions, you maybe can say a bit more about this, Jade. There's still a lot of doing in that, and not enough call out about the beautiful effort that's involved right it's it's time it's effort it's really beautiful but it's I think the outcome part of that is harder to to point to than outputs and roadmaps and run the strategy and those things and there's still so much of that in a in a job description and that leaves a a tough burden on the individual if the business isn't supporting that absolutely and just something you you mentioned at the beginning there was around there's a couple of reasons why product is done so differently from business to business and and that consensus around what great looks like. I think from an engineering perspective, it's really well articulated what best engineering practices look like. And, you know, there's a list of companies that that are really sort of um, best in breed in, in Melbourne and Australia. Why do you think the reason is that product hasn't got that yet? I think we're our own worst enemy. I think we've enjoyed the convenience of the flexibility of defining the role for ourselves so that I'm just going to put that theory out there (laughs) um I I I think I think we've enjoyed the flexibility and I think we're realizing it's doing us more harm than good so I think it had advantages where um and and it was appropriately responsive to the the product work you were doing and we'll come to this but that's the reason you still need to do a bespoke um, view for your company because the product work is different from place to place. But I think this, we're starting to realize that consistency on the skill sets and the capabilities and the mindsets of the people you're hiring into those things are, yeah, as we as we f- are, are the same. And so we can talk about them and we can and we can we can um, give some structure to them. And I think the conversation is also, um, being shared more openly between companies because we've moved away from the idea that the product-specific stuff is IP and it's specific, like it, it's the stuff you don't reveal. Um, but the, these things like the skill sets, capabilities, mindsets, repeat themselves. They're common themes, and you can ask them over and over again. And you're looking for them, and we're sharing that more openly. And so I think that means we're starting to see it would help us. It would serve us better if we did that, and we and we start to put these things in place. Then where we previously were like, it's a bit cool that I can. <laughs> I can I can mould it. I can mould it um, each time. Yep. Love your honesty, Liz. Um, I'm sure you'll be ever popular. Don't worry about what you say. <laughs> um, 
So let's talk about capability matrix. Um, and this is something that, like I mentioned a minute ago, has come up a lot in recent conversations with CPOs and end product leaders um, and recently at Product Anonymous. So talk to me about sort of cap- product capability matrix and what that looks like. Yes. So a capability matrix talks about the attributes you expect from your product people with clarity for each role or level at your company. Um, so that's where a lot of times I've seen, you know, a post, a great product manager is this, and some of those lists can be really, really long, which in and of itself, well, that might be a different problem to talk about another time, but that can seem overwhelming. But the problem is if it's just a list, it doesn't allow you to understand how you would go from an associate product manager or a, or a whatever the beginner level is to a product manager, to a senior, and those things. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't break it down into a distinction between that. And I think the other thing that's included that's really important for um, a capability matrix is there's clarity on um, the work you need to do that does intersect with your product trio. So it makes sure that you don't take or borrow or steal responsibilities from another part of your, your product trio, your designer engineering spaces. Um, or data science actually is a really key contributor to your, your decision-making team these days. And um, But it, it has really key language around what's expected for that capability. Um, and then it actually talks about the expectations and how you would – language like how you would demonstrate it or whether you need support because you could be doing something, but you need a lot of support to – or a lot of review to do it successfully um, or it might be about the speed with which you can do it because now it's second nature and it takes you five minutes to do something that it takes someone else to do. You know what I mean? The same quality of work, but much longer amount of time, which means you can't but put as much workload, let's say, on, on uh, to someone who's still learning and is a little bit more junior because they need the time and the space to do that. So, to, yeah. So, it starts to add that kind of language so you can really understand how you go from one place to the other and how you're doing well in the space you're in at that point in time. Fantastic. And that would be a blend of the technical skills, say, required for for product, but also those adaptive skills that, that can be learned and built upon. I think so. I think sometimes uh, when, I've, when I've done this now a couple of times, it is a tricky one if you've got your organisation has, let's say, those adaptive skills described in their culture or their general performance. So that's another thing you want to have a look at a little bit to uh, not double up too much. But I think with product, it is definitely really important to have the adaptive skills in your capability matrix. If you are going to essentially judge that person, if they're not doing it well, then it needs to be in there so that you can talk to your folk about how they're being successful, or you can obviously help coach them or, or, uh, go to further training if they're not doing uh, that that piece. And I think one of the really valuable things about putting something like this together is you start to grab on the perception um, in the organisation around whether a product person is doing well or not by being able to point to language that says, but it's not here. And if you're expecting it to be like, if you're expecting it to be at this level, but they're only, um, you're asking for skills at a senior level and they're, still a junior, you're actually able to calibrate perception of performance with 
with fair expectations, which is the, which is a, another useful part about it. Um, okay. So as you're explaining it there, it sounds like it's lending itself a lot more to the responsibility of, say, the organization than perhaps the individual taking control of, of, of their career. Are you seeing sort of capability matrix be successful when it is part of an organization structure, behaviors, way of um, developing their people? Yeah, that's a great question. And let me try and slow down and answer a couple of parts of it. So I think it's really important about how it sits in in the organization. So socializing it not only within the team so they understand uh, and, and and when you do that, it can be really great to be like, wow, I'm actually doing really well as a product person because I actually do all these things really well. But it's really important to socialize in the organization because the lack of something to to refer to can mean if someone's really frustrated by one failing in one area, let's just say it's like skills at commercial acumen but they're amazing at everything else that's on the list, like everything else that you're including. So you've got um, really strong strengths in in your data analysis. You're actually really um, great at your customer focus. You drive outcomes you can execute really well. But if that particular component is a bugbear for an individual, all the good can be forgotten. All the good, because we humans tend to focus on the negative. So, so the, the usefulness of this tool is to then be able to focus on strengths, it's to look at the positives, it's to turn it back around to, but look at everything else that's really, really great, and then turn that frustration into a smaller part of the, the conversation, but nonetheless, do something to work on it because perception is important in our role. Um, from there, in terms of how the business needs to support it, JDs need to talk about it, growth plans need to have it involved career like um, opportunities for career growth or budget for training and space to go and do um, try another role for a little while to gain the skills like it definitely has to fit into um, a broader commitment from the organization to take care of your people but in terms of the individual I think what I like about the structure is it I think it does empower the individual to understand what they're good at if they can get that next at their company and if that's the place that they should be for their future career growth. And that's things like, it could be as simple as, I'd like to do something other than e-commerce or marketplaces, but you're a marketplace business. Now, that might be a slightly different component, but of a whole product career growth, but there's definitely, I'll just use that that example because it's a bit more neutral, but you, you might find that, um, uh, uh, if, you know, you're a bit more feature factory com- <laughs> company than outcome driven and, 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 a, and a true product company. And you're, and you're realizing that it's very hard to learn skills when the situation and the organization is just in a particular state without judging, without judging that company. And so, again, the conversation, as much as, again, I could be <laughs> controversial to say you, you're, you're coaching the individual to make their choices about what they can get from the organization they're at. And whether they need to go somewhere else to then get their next set of skills that they really want to acquire. And that might not be at your organization. And it's an important conversation to have as well. Definitely. And I'm thinking about, you know, if you are really strong in one area, but have development opportunities in another, I think using this to frame that conversation would be really empowering as opposed to a negative performance conversation that, you know, it can sometimes feel like. 
Liz, you mentioned there a couple yeah. of the, the competencies, um, you know, talked about data capability, customer centricity. Um, what other competencies should should PMs really be looking at um, building and developing? Oh, it's a really long list and it will take its own coaching. But I, th- I think I've grouped it up. So I'm going to just just point people to some references. I, um, when crafting uh, capability matrix, I've done it now more than once, but I have found the the strongest theme-driven one from Reforge uses insights-driven product strategy, driving outcomes, execution, and product leadership as a couple of big groupings. And then under that, you get a little bit more specific. Um, and so let me put it like this. When you do that, you can end up with 42 rows in your spreadsheet to take a look at, which is a lot. Um, but at the same time, I, I know it sounds terrible. I, I don't know. I'm thinking it sounds terrible to put it that way, but I think turning it back into that number just tells you why it's tricky to try and assess a product person without understanding just how much it is we're expected to cover. But you cannot get better at 42 things on day one. You have to go, what's the most what's the thing blocking you right now in your career growth or what's the thing that interests you the most? Again, um, continuous discovery in terms of your customer focus might be the thing you're not getting enough opportunity at uh, to try and you really want to add that skill. Well, let's let's focus on that because customer, customer focus is really important to us as a company and that's really important to you personally. So you can keep that pairing that it's important for you to do well at that to the organization and and you'd really like to uh, gain that skill but you can't do all of those things in one go but it helps to really showcase just how much we are trying to be good at and then do our day jobs and keep everything else afloat and so um i do find it's a tricky and the core competencies have those sort of five themes and then you break them out into a couple of specific things and suddenly it's like, whoa, this is going to be, it's a big conversation. Absolutely. So if I'm a PM listening and I'm in an organization that hasn't got the maturity of having capability matrix and and these frameworks in place, if I wanted to go to Reforge and do a bit of a a self-assessment, I'm thinking like, yes, that's obviously a great first step and you're taking ownership of your, your career. But the the cynic in me is kind of thinking most people have a bit of an overinflated sense of their own abilities and think that they nail most things. Where would someone start this? Should they go to a peer and ask them to rate them or go to a manager and ask them to rate them or do it themselves? That's a it it, it is a it is a good one. I I um I did rework Marty Kagan's um and he follows a similar structure to what I just like sort of outline of what I talked about in terms of what I think is important. But he actually talks about it in his coaching um, blogs around where he thinks a head of product or senior product manager, product manager, et cetera, should roughly be at in terms of their um, competency at knowing the product and the market, checking with customer stakeholders, et cetera. I do think, I think there can be a moment you want to say you're great at everything. But I, I guess if you really want to grow, yeah, you are going to have to take a moment to be real with yourself and say, am I doing this really at the best of 
my ability right now? And if you're not sure that you can answer that honestly, yeah, try and ask a few friends. Get them or I I say not friends. That's a terrible piece of advice. Colleagues, I've actually turned it into a quick little Google spreadsheet, uh, Google form, sorry, for my team before, which is like, here are two areas I think I need work on to work on. Can you give me explicit feedback as to whether you've noticed things I'm not doing so well at? I do find if you ask people generically, do you think I'm good at these things? I'll be like, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. I've, I've noticed people try that and it overwhelms the person you're asking to review you. So actually, I, I, I take back my advice and I say, try and have a think about one or two areas you're not too sure about and then ask people for specific feedback that they can offer you to help you actually get something um, concrete to action Definitely. And there's a couple of organizations that that I know of that do have quite mature product capabilities and they've implemented um, anonymous peer-to-peer feedback on these competencies and they're seeing really phenomenal results still early in their journey. But um, I'll be talking about that with uh, with Tom Dyson from JobAdder in, in another episode. So I think where organizations have that maturity, they're, they're starting down this path. Does Does this conversation lend itself to more mature product businesses or can do you think every business that has a product team should be looking to implement these these frameworks i i think the i think there's probably something to be said for if you've got more than one role in the team in the organization sorry if you've got one more, if you've got more than one role in the organisation, I think that's when you have to start having something that describes the difference between one or the other. So then that then you're getting to a matrix or a framework. Otherwise, I think using um, a simple lane of here are the things I'm expecting of you. How are how are you doing? But if that's not framed in good language around those expectations, you're still just doing. Um, maybe a vanity exercise of do you do insights it 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 it, it it possibly does need to have a if you do this well you could get to a next best place um, but if you don't have enough roles it probably is more work than you can get the benefit and you keep it as a simpler coaching structure for the individual here are the 42 things as I sort of referred to how are you doing generally how do you feel about your coverage what would you like to learn or improve next and just pick one thing and do coaching and focus on that for a quarter or six months or a year I don't think a whole matrix will get you the benefit until you have career paths to manage different JDs to like different levels to hire into and clarity of expectations between your different team members accordingly good point good point Something you said there, and I want to ask you a really difficult question. Um, You mentioned that there's about 42 of these competencies. um, And I'm sitting here as a product manager going, I can't work on 42. Liz said I can't work on 42. I need to pick one competency and and work on that for the next six to 12 months. Out of them, you know, your knowledge, leadership, customer, commercial, like, can you pinpoint one that if someone really nails that, they're going to move their career forward? Yeah, I realize it's super overwhelming and this is probably the moment it's actually really useful to ask outside of yourself or your team what the deal breaker 
uh, capability is. So it turned out when we did this review with with the team, like the last time I was writing, working through this with, we realized out of all of these things, there are a couple that bubble up to the top that if you don't do those well, you are going to be judged more harshly than if you fail at any of the others. So, and again, it goes back to my point before, if you fail at this one, nobody can see the positive. Like they just won't see it anymore and they start dismissing it. And it's, and it's whatever the human nature part about it, it, it probably that again, <laughs> whole other conversation, but this is how I think you figure out what that is and you ask externally. And the deal breaker one is the one you say, right, that's what we're going to focus on. Let's make sure you're excelling at that because that's the one that will build you political capital, ability to, you know, that space to to do more and a, a small mistake over here and one of the other capabilities is less likely to get noticed. So there's definitely a way to sift through it, but don't try and, don't try and determine that by yourself. Again, into the organisation, you have to understand the landscape of, of the organisation to know which is the one you must nail or everything else becomes moot. Good advice. And I, I find it really fascinating, especially with the role of product, that you know, language and influencing is such an important part of the role. Communication, the art of being able to influence without, oh, what's the word, you know, specific power per se or leadership titles. And it does baffle me somewhat that communication training or public speaking training or, you know, influencing training, language training isn't part of the the program for product though, because it is such a huge part of the role. I'm going to push you again on those one that one competency, but the ability to communicate seems like it really is a key part of of the role. Would you agree? Uh, I'm going to cheat. Yes, I do think it's super important. I think I think communication, humans. We work with humans. If you can't do that part, um, the rest sort of falls away, doesn't it? But I think there's um, really big differences depending on the organization as to where the most important influence should be applied and i think there's some careful some careful consideration for the i think the way sorry the way we can give value to extroverts and showy performances versus grit hard work and persistence and so that's where i'd challenge you back and say no, I don't think I don't think those are the key skills you always have to teach. Uh, but at the same time, if you can't talk to humans, work, translate well, move from talking to salespeople to engineers to executives to the finance team to whatever the 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 sort of different um, language uh, um, skills you need to have in each of those spaces, you will struggle to do your job fundamentally. Absolutely on to career pathways and what these capability matrix frameworks might be able to sort of direct people towards what are the the main pathways that you see for for product folk interesting thing is there's possibly just two really strong pathways but i would like to see them more clearly split so one is just powering up to be an individual contributor like you know from you know senior manager product manager sorry you're managing portfolios, your um, P&L is huge or it gets bigger and bigger and your financial responsibility and your the customers, like the number of customer in, impact responsibilities get bigger and bigger. And I think um, 
and then your capabilities at your skills around customer discovery and and driving outcomes and following through taking bets on opportunities i think there's some really amazing i think really amazing pathways through that that continue to be challenging continue to be interesting as a result of that um i think the second one is where you i think we really do need to start to craft distinct differences between then managing and leading people teaching and coaching um stepping away from the doing and providing the um appropriate level of guidance for people whether you're really holding their hand with them to, but that's to ensure that they get better at it not not for your own <laughs> glory <laughs> and or you're you're yeah really providing um maybe coaching behind the scenes it's even less obvious that you're there and helping but they really shine and and they really um uh, become a better product person as a result um, because you're just helping them realize the things that they're good at and they do better at those things. Um, so those those are, two, I think, two really amazing tracks. I continue to see them combined and I can kind of appreciate that because I do think product people struggle to give up the doing. So we like a little bit of that in our in our work, um, even as we we love the coaching and leading part. But I think those are the two big ones is really overseeing a team and understanding a much bigger footprint of a group of product people and seeing, ensuring that their work doesn't step on and and um, damage the product experience because they're not understanding how they're connected and those kinds of things. So, yeah, just that lovely helicopter view that a product leader offers. And you think the sort of CPO product leadership level should take that ownership of the, the coaching and the mentoring or, or would you like to see the rise of that sort of product coach role become more popular in organizations to do that Ooh. i would love more product coaching to be seen in the organization i think a chief product officer speaking on their behalf at <laughs> um, their current role no i think i think a chief product officer has a great opportunity to as I said, from that helicopter view, keep an eye on um, maybe, I guess, trying to prevent car crashes before they happen and, and keeping culture healthy and the product group respected and understood and, and removing blockages from outside of the team. And so then I think, and I'm talking, I'm just, I'm talking out loud. I'm thinking out loud about this one. And then you have the coaches embedded in the team ensuring there's that individual growth so i think i think there's again there's probably especially depending on the size of your team a reason you would ensure you've got dedicated time and skill set from someone to do one thing while you can then keep an eye on uh the machinations of the organization outside of the product team and that's a really obviously a very important part of that role absolutely liz you've had an amazing career and an interesting career what what's been your greatest achievement so far <laughs> oh maybe i haven't had it yet let's see um <laughs> there's still time jade there's still time um i reckon i think i think my favorite i think my favorite was was really using um uh, design thinking as a structure at, at um a census actually and and bringing in that the design thinking 
I guess it's another framework, but just bringing that into the organization to really get us our customer focus. We've just gone through a massive transformation. We were a bit exhausted from uh, changing systems and had all of this talk about all the amazing new things we could do for our customers. Yet we really had to change our mindset about being customer focused and using design thinking, which is that um, uh, the five Ds, I, I, I call it, which is the moment where you're thinking about discover, discovery, describe, design, deliver, and deploy, and you just break down your risks into into smaller steps instead of the big, big project, big, big thinking piece. And it's it's crucial to have the customer, customer intelligence up and learning up front. We often focus on feasibility and and viability first, and those are important things to mitigate. But they're all logical. It's the humans. It's the impractical, illogical, irrational part that's hard to control for and has the biggest risk, but it has the be- the best opportunity for success and delight and a great product if you really understand what you're doing for your customer. And so bringing that in and really seeing um, uh, our customer redesign come to life in a very short p- period of time because it's such a speedy way to work through it was just... So much fun. Um, it was a joy to do, um, and it was put in place into a, in, in in a in a space struggling to focus on that. So in that sense, it was an achievement to try something new and then see it really come to fruition. But it was also a lot of fun. I still, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Fantastic, Liz. It's been amazing talking to you today. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. How can we stay connected with you going forward? Uh, come join Product Anonymous. You'll find us on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Meetup. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I've also got a Twitter space. I tend to use that to <laughs> talk about Product Anonymous, but come say hi. Um, but yeah, come come along to a Product Anonymous session, and we can we can talk about all all the cool things. Um, yeah, in person. Uh, yeah. Definitely. I'll include all those handles in the show notes as well. And then lastly, for those aspiring to move into product, what what competencies or what areas should they be working on? When people ask me about this, I actually do usually advise them to read Marty's book, Inspired. And if that doesn't scare them off, then we should talk more. Amazing. Liz, thank you so much for coming on the Product Edge. You're so welcome. it's, It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jade. Thank you for listening to The Product Edge, brought to you by Middleton Executive. You can head to theproductedge.com.au to subscribe to Australia's number one podcast for all things product management. I would love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Until next time, I look forward to introducing you to more product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and hustlers who will share their insights and experiences to help you level up and reach your full potential.